It's blazing hot outside. You get in your car to turn on the AC to get cold air pumping, but it blows hot air out. This issue is commonly caused by low refrigerant due to leaks in the AC system. You want an easy, all-in-one solution that will restore the cold air in no time. AC Pro Recharge Kits. Make restoring cold air easy for even those with zero DIY experience in less than 10 minutes. Save time and money versus going to a shop by picking up an AC Pro Recharge Kit today. Be a pro with AC Pro. The crowd was going crazy. There's not much in life that's better than that. You guys always showed me love. My family and I appreciate it so much. Uh, you guys are the best. You're listening to Garlic Fries and Baseball Guys on the 95.7 The Game Podcast Network. Hello there. Welcome back to the Garlic Fries and Baseball Guys podcast, our first episode of the offseason here. Sam Lemon here with Joe the Butcher Boy Shasky, and we also have a special guest joining us today. We got Steven Risotto. The, uh, the pride of Reardon High, he covers the Giants for uh, Sports Illustrated's Fan Nation, formerly of sfbay.ca. He's also at a student at SF State right now. And if uh, you've heard of him before, it's probably because you heard him on his RizzoCast podcast where he interviews an incredibly impressive uh, guest list that he has on that podcast. A, a better guest list than you usually see on the morning roast. Uh, Steven, how you doing today, man? Nice to have you here. I'm doing good, guys. Sam, you know what I think about you. Shasky, big admirer of you, too. You guys are the best. The show, The Morning Roast, is the best, and uh, this podcast is the best. So I'm, I'm grateful okay. to be on with you guys, and uh, can't can't wait to talk some ball. It's going to be fun. Sam, as the kids say, I call cap on a lot of that. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, this is episode 78. Guys, did you know that in 2023, Gold Glove finalist Patrick Bailey had a weighted runs created plus of 78. I have no idea if that's good or not, uh, or what that even means. Steven, you're in the know. What what does WRC plus, what does that even measure? Is 78 good? Is that bad? Did I just shame Patrick Bailey unknowingly? You're young, you're hip, you understand these numbers. Let's start off right there. The 78 WRC plus for Patrick Bailey, is that good or not? So that is not good. That's below league average. So basically weighted runs created plus if you're into that stuff, it's basically uh, a ballpark adjusted number and league average is about 100. Okay. So a lot of people use it to kind of, you know, I guess define a player's offensive ability. Um, League average is 100. And if you're 150, then that means you're 50% above league average. So I'm not a math guy. I don't know how it gets calculated. I don't know if I care to know how it's calculated. (laughs) But all I know is that it's there. So if, if, uh, you know, Patrick Bailey's at that number, then he's below average offensively. But we do know based on, you know, outside of the numbers, we do know that he got a little tired in the second half and he's never played this deep um, into a season before with the amount of workload that he got. Uh, so it got off to a hot start, but um, yeah, weighted runs created plus is one of those numbers, Sam, that um, is kind of polarizing a little bit because not everybody understands it, but just know that a hundreds league average, that's pretty much all I know about it. Yeah, I think that's that's kind of baseball these days really is, you know, you have all these numbers. I don't know how any of them are calculated, but people swear by them. You know, it, it, Shasky is a huge lover of analytics and all things <laughs> spreadsheets. <laughs> I say that facetiously, of course. Um, I don't know. Let's let's kind of shifting right. Let's get off the st- start with that, actually, with with the numbers in baseball and the analytics. We saw how it impacted the Giants season. It probably had too big of an impact on the Giants season. 
Rizzo, right now, where are you at in terms of just how much analytics are used in baseball right now? Do you think it's too much, not enough in terms of how the Giants do it? What do you think on how they use it? You just where, where are you at with right now on, on analytics? Yeah, I think analytics is a good thing, but I think the moment you start kind of losing a lot of the common sense in the game, that's where you're going to start to go wrong. And I think it's important to be reliant on them to some degree. I think in your preparation, if you're a starting pitcher, like I want all the numbers possible about how to get hitters out. And I think if, if Sandy Koufax had the numbers that today's pitchers have, he would probably be even better. So I think you know, same thing as, as a hitter, right? You would want to know where the pitchers are most likely going to attack you. If you're a defender, you'd want to know where to play. Uh, but at the same time, in terms of, you know, how it, it gets kind of mixed up with the in-game decision, how it kind of gets mixed up with the common sense, it could be a little tricky at times. I think the the prime example that I'm talking about is we just saw in the, the postseason when the Blue Jays manager, John Schneider, took out Jose Barrios after three innings and he was only at 40 some odd pitches and he was doing really well. And we saw that in the postseason a few years ago in the World Series with Blake Snell. And we see it sometimes, or we saw it sometimes with Gabe Kapler taking out pitchers. Um, you know, they, the, the, the thing is you don't want them to see the third time through because statistically their numbers just, you know, kind of inflate the third time through. So there, there's some things that, that need to be corrected. I think a mix of common sense and a mix of analytics would be a nice blend, but sometimes it kind of goes a little bit to the analytics side of it. And I think in a perfect world, there would be a nice blend of both. But I, I, I think it, it gets too much sometimes uh, for me to take a little bit. And as somebody that still has, you know, I remember the complete game still. Like I, I'm still, I, I'm young, but I'm still old enough to remember like the Roy Halladay's a little bit towards the end of his career who would just rack up complete game after complete game um, and guys that work deep in the game. And I think that there's a different like appreciation for Logan Webb, a guy who could throw 200 innings in a season. Uh, and I don't know if anybody else got to 100 this year or 200 this year. So I think that the preparation, it works and it, it's cool to be used in game, but um, I'll, it's still, I feel like we haven't mastered okay. the portion size of it. Okay. You guys are younger than me. So I, I'm going to, I'm going to interrupt. Do you both really think, I mean, Sam, you're probably young thirties, Steven, young twenties, correct? Yeah. So we've got a good 10, 20 year gap between us. Yeah. Do you guys really think? Roger Craig didn't know what someone's numbers were when he went to the bullpen in 1989. You don't think he knew what that guy did against righties or lefties? Do you guys remember like Bruce Bochy? Yeah, he platooned one guy out in the outfield. For example, I'm going to go, you know, 2012 situation or 2014, having Gregor Blanco in center field in certain situations. Like, do we really think that we haven't looked at the numbers for a hundred years? Like, that's the thing that I think is the misnomer is that numbers and data and trends have been a part of baseball since day one. Have any of you ever played ball? Hey, this guy just hit one screaming over to third base. I'm playing short. Let me take a couple steps to the right. That may not be advanced analytics. That's called, hey, he just smoked one. Let me slide over a little to this side. He's a pull hitter. Like, don't we believe that at the core, we've been using data, numbers, trends since day one, right? We all agree, correct? I agree. Yeah, 100%. Okay. And, and I would consider it analytics, too. Okay. I would consider that analytics. I mean, what's the difference between, like, a, a, like a scouting report from, like, 1979 versus, like, I'll tell the, you. the data that you get now? It's almost like – is it is it almost, like, crazy to say it's just – it's a different way of getting the same information as, no. as we used to do it? 
No, 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 it's not because we have people that are trying to out fool themselves. For example, how many times this year, Sam, did I ask you to ask Gabe Kapler when it comes to raw pitch count? Does that matter? How many breaking balls? How many guys were on base during a particular pitch outing? No, none of the context matters. So Steven, as a former pitcher, are all 80 pitch performances the same stress on the elbow? What if they were all sliders? What if guys were on base the entire game uh, that you were pitching? What if no one was on base? What if it was all one pitch outs, right? These are the contexts that I think that the data and the analytics we've lost. Case in point, Kyle Schwarber hits bombs. We all agree. Carol, Merrill Kelly had not given up a home run on a changeup all year long. 600 some odd pitches. And he gives one up on a broken bat, end of the bat, home run to Kyle Schwarber. There are no analytics on that. Sometimes no. dudes just beat you. And that's the part where I feel like the data nerds, and I'm not saying that either of you are that, but the obsession over it does not equate for human error and emotion and trends. And is this guy hot? Is it Kyle Schwarber at home with a rabid fan base and you're Merrill Kelly, who's been a tick off in this entire game based off the eye test. That's the part that kills me. Well, he's at 85 pitches. Gotta take him out. Well, were they stressful? 85. You get where I'm going with this. This is where I get frustrated. No, I, no, yeah, I agree. One I think thing about where the you pitch count real quick. One thing about the pitch count real quick is in my mind, Pitchers are well-equipped in terms of strength and, um, I guess, uh, conditioning to the point where they could go over the 100 pitches. I mean, we see guys in the offseason that are pushing cars up hills in San Francisco, and they're lifting, they're deadlifting like 1,200 pounds, right? And then they, go in the, they, they, they come into the season, and they're, they're on a pitch count that's like 75 pitches. So I think if there's a generation equipped to work deep in the games, it's this one because they're, they're conditioned, they're well-conditioned, they're strong. And I, it, it's kind of puzzling to why it doesn't happen. Sam, get in there, and I got another little little frustration watching baseball. Well, I think, yeah, I mean, I think when it comes to the analytics, it, I feel like with everything, there has to be a balance. I've always looked at analytics as like they're a tool. They're not a crutch. They're a tool. They're ways that you use information, and what you do with that information, I think, is the important is the important part there. And that is where, you know, Stephen, you mentioned the common sense factor that comes in there. And I always – you look at the teams that are doing well in the postseason right now. They really do. Every team has a use of analytics, but it's how they apply them. that I think obviously matters. Yes. Look at like with the Rangers and the Astros right now, the Astros, especially they're one of the four, you know, one of the, 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 the premier organizations when it comes to using analytical data and these new age thinking kind of ways. It's why the part of the reason why the Giants brought uh, Pete Patilla over from there is because they want to take a part of what the Astros are doing. And it regards to player development but more specifically, and they want to apply that to the Giants. I get that. This is a cop this baseball is a copycat league like any other, but it's how they apply it. You got guys like Dusty Baker and Bruce Bochi, old school guys who, you know, they're not and Bochi would always famously say, you know, he's not just out there, you know, leaning on the gut. He had the analytics too. It's that mix of you have this data. But then how you apply it really, really matters. And I think that's where the Giants really screwed up this year. And last year, too, in a sense, where it's just they were too governed by the data. Gabe Kapler, whether it's from his own you know, issues and in in-game decision-making or maybe someone above him was telling him to do things, the in-game decision-making was too data-reliant and not enough of what are you feeling in this situation? You know, I remember being in these scrums pregame with Gabe, and 
I'll be honest, like, I think he knows a lot about baseball. He's obviously, he's played the game a lot. He's been around a lot. He's seen a lot of things. He's won championships. He's been a part of perfect games. He's part uh, on the bad side of perfect games. He's been in bad baseball teams, good baseball teams. The dude has been around and seen a lot of baseball. But then you see the decision-making being made, and I think part of it is a learning experience. You know, you can't expect a guy with two years of managing experience to have the same kind of, you know, a, a, ability and be as good as a guy like Bruce Bochy who had 25 years of, of major league experience. I do think there is a level of trial and error, growing, getting better as a manager. But I always felt like, and this I feel with Doom Gabe, Gabe in, is he was too hamstrung by the data whether by his own choice or not. And I think that's what kind of sunk the Giants at times this year. I, you see, no, I would disagree. I'll push back. I actually think Gabe Kapler was done in by the personnel. Personnel stinks. Like, well, that's like, just, <laughs> all what it is. What manager in Major League Baseball is going to survive with 1.75 pitchers who are starters that can actually go five innings? Cobb had three quarters of a great season, right? He, he totally fizzled out at the end. And I like Alex Cobb, but like, come on, man. Like, have you seen any openers in this Philly series? No. Have you seen any in the Astros Rangers series? No. I don't think the Rays used one. What? I don't think the Rays used one in any of their playoffs. And the Rays are gone for a reason. Hottest well, yeah, but I'm saying the, the, the team that invented the opener didn't even use an opener in the playoffs. But like the Giants were going to do. Newsflash. Tell me all the advanced analytics you want to hear. Here's what wins in baseball. Great starting pitching. Elite defense. Clutch hitting. Wow. Mind blown. Holy shit. Are you kidding me? That's what still works in baseball. But like you can't lead baseball in errors. All right. And have guys like Wilmer Flores playing third base because you need his bat in the lineup. Gabe Kapler smart enough to know Flores is not a third baseman defensively. And you're taking a huge depreciation when you have him at third playing defense, inning in, inning out. It's it's a net loss no matter how well he hits. Gabe is not dumb enough. I, I don't believe in the, I'm not saying he's the greatest manager ever. I don't think that that's a Gabe decision. That's a forehand decision coming from up top. And to me, that's where this whole thing loses all its credibility. If, if this was by the books, you think Pena would be playing shortstop against lefties? No. You know why? Because Mauricio Dubon hits better against lefties by four points. If you look at the data throughout the year, he really does, by the way, which is a shocking thing to say. That's how the Giants were run all year. A guy made his major league debut, a major league debut, took two at-bats, looked over when he was in the on-deck circle, and got pinch hit for. Who the hell is going to have confidence when the margins are that thin between hitting 200 and hitting 300 when you have to look over your shoulder at every single turn? The human element and the personnel has done them in as an organization. No, I agree with that. I do think and this is I mean, let's get into kind of Gabe Kapler's firing a little bit because I still think there is some meat on that one. And that is basically we just I feel like we just said they were kind of taking I don't know if blame is the right word there, but like we, we've talked about pie chart of culpability on this podcast. And I think we've all agreed that Gabe Kapler for as, as bad as these last two seasons went, his slice of the pie probably isn't as large as I think a lot of people would have expected maybe when the Giants first hired him. Is that, and it, I, like, again, the term scapegoat popped up. I floated that word to some guys in the clubhouse. I didn't get any pushback on it. I don't know, Rizzo, you were in those scrums with me. How did you originally react to Gabe Kapler getting fired? I was surprised only because of the timing of it. I mean, three games before the end of the season, um, and it happened on the night of the Willie Mack Award. I feel like there's kind of a cloud above that. Um, am I surprised overall that he got fired? I think what led up to it were the comments that that um, that were made on the other station, you know, a few days before, right? I mean, um, mm -hmm. 
by, by Farhan Zaidi. And basically he went on the air and said that he could not, he could not guarantee Gabe Kapler's job. And, and those were telling comments. And, you know, the, I guess they realized that they're, they're, that's the report that's coming out that they realized that possibly um, they didn't want him to answer questions about that. And that's why he was gone three days early. Uh, and, and the only reason I think scapegoat comes out of it is Shasky's point. He hit the nail on the head when he said, when he brought up the Flores example, playing third base, I think the, the same goes for, for Jock Peterson in left field, right? I mean, the personnel in the, the personnel in the field was just not not good enough, and I think the the amount of control that managers get get nowadays, right? There's not a lot of control. There's a lot of co- communication with the front office and collaboration. Um, every manager, I guess, that gets that gets fired, unless there's a massive, like a massive conflict that's happening in the clubhouse, uh, they're scapegoats, right? It's massive because I mean we just don't know how to evaluate a manager. A manager could be really good, really awesome, really good in-game decision with a bad roster. And we'd never knew. We'd never know because the team would lose a hundred games, right? A manager could be really bad, right, and lead a team to a hundred wins, and we'd still never know because of the product that he has on the field, right? Brian Dave Snickers, Roberts. Brian, Brian, yeah, Dave Roberts. Dave Roberts has had a very, <laughs> sim- I don't want to say simple job. I think Dave Roberts is a fine manager. I think Brian Snickers is a fine manager, but for Snickers case, he wrote in the same guys every single day, every single day. He had that luxury of doing that, of putting in Matt Olson in the three hole of putting in a guy like Ronald Acuna uh, and, and Sean Murphy and all these just mashers in Atlanta. And we look at him as the greatest manager in the world right now because he's leading his team. But how much of it is Brian Snickers? So that's the part of managing that I just, I don't think we'll ever understand just because we never know how good a manager is. Here's the essence of coaching, whether you're coaching a little league team, a girls volleyball team in high school, a major league baseball team, maximizing the strengths, minimizing the weaknesses of the entire roster. That is the key. And too many times this year, we were seeing guys play into their weaknesses and expose them as ball players. Whether that's certain pitching situations, jock in left field, Flores at shortstop, pick your poison, go around the diamond. Like Lamont Wade was an adventure at times toward the second half at first base. No one wanted to admit that, you know, everyone being miscast and put in the wrong positions. I mean, and the crazy thing is JD Davis had a career year. Lamont Wade had a career year. Now, their careers aren't stellar. So to this point, like it, that's not saying much, but like go around the diamond, guys. Think about it. Think about all the guys who had really nice Michael Conforto, not a career year, a pretty bounce Solid. back year for Michael Conforto, considering he's barely played the last couple of years. But listen to what we're grasping of. The personnel's not good enough. If I gave Joe Torrey, who I don't think highly, but Joe Torrey in his prime, John McGraw, Bruce Bochy, pick whoever it is. This was like an 81-win team max, 82-win team. Mm -hmm. No one is going to find a winner. Now, did he lose the clubhouse? Uh, Did he not communicate properly? Those are different things that I don't have the answer to. But if you're basing it off results, come on, man. This is a personnel problem more than it is a Gabe Kapler problem. I've started culpability. No, absolutely. I agree with that. I think that was – I think we we can get into that in a second here is, yeah, it's it's the Giants, their failure to the fine players. I think – Obviously, we know that they were trying to find guys through free agency. That failed. How much, when it comes to the personnel problems, it seems like the Giants are really kind of hoping that these guys in the farm system are the guys who will kind of lead, spearhead that, that next great Giants team. Uh, I, th- I know they obviously they want to get a, a free agent around that, but 
just right now, when we look at some of these young guys here, if they're the best option to fix the personnel problem, how much confidence does that give you? Uh, Shask, I'll let you take that one first. What, the young people that they have in place? Yeah. I, I like mean, if they're, if they're the solution to the personnel problem, how much confidence does that give you that the Giants' personnel problem would be fixed? Well, the problem is, is that they don't allow anyone to say, hey, you're playing for two weeks. You know what I mean? They keep saying, like, well, when this guy comes up, he's going to face righties and lefties. But at the first opportunity to yank a dude, they do it, right? And so your actions speak louder than your words. There's a log jam of redundancy across the roster. Jock really ain't great in the outfield, and he's kind of a DH. Well, you know, Mitch Hanniger really ain't great in the outfield. He's kind of a DH. You know, Lamont Wade Jr.'s not really great in the outfield. We're going to move him to first, but really that's also Flores' best defensive position. But Flores is also kind of a DH. Like, they've built a redundant team. So a when a young guy does – when a young guy does come up, they've got so many ancillary used parts that have to get into the lineup. I never give a young guy a week-long stretch. The longest stretch of uninterrupted play was poor Wade Meckler going out there and struggling. Like, think about it. Luis Matos for, for maybe a couple of weeks and Wade Meckler. I'm watching Josh Young. He said the first thing he said, Bochi said, you're in the lineup. Don't worry. Go out and play. Hey, Carter, this young kid, you're going to play the month of September. Go out and play. I'm not going to yank you. Don't look over your shoulder. Confidence is not in, you know, a spreadsheet or a checkbook. It's in between the ears. The game is played by humans. And so I think their biggest problem with the youngsters is that they were yo-yoing him way too much. Yeah. Way too much. I remember Brandon Belt's rookie year. I know we love Brandon Belt in this pod, but Brandon Belt's rookie year, that was a good example of that. They yo-yoed him all the time, and I think it really stalled out his season there as well. So it, it was then, it was now. You're seeing it over. I don't know, Rizzo, what do you see with those young guys this year? Well, Yeah, and, and Brandon Belt's a good example of the yo-yoing, but a, a good example of not yo-yoing and letting them play is Brandon Crawford. Brandon Crawford came up in 2011 and was a defensive first guy. 2012, you know he defensive first guy. Do you know what he batted that year? Probably under it's probably under 250. Under 250. Two yeah. percentage points higher than Casey Schmidt this year, guys. Incomparable amounts of at-bats. He had more at-bats. He batted like 204. Look it up. Look it up. Yeah. No, he was never a great no hitter other than it. a couple years here and there. And that's why I've said, like, with Casey Schmidt especially, like – He's very like Casey Schmidt. I see a lot of similarities, somewhat not in the style of play, but just in terms of their arrival. Uh, Casey Schmidt and Brandon Crawford. I've said numerous times in this podcast if Casey Schmidt could give me a career similar to what Brandon Crawford's done, I'll take that. Great defense, just enough hitting to keep a you in the lineup. Hitting in the giant, of course, you take that. Yeah, no, I take I, that's why it's like that's the thing. Like, people are like, we, we got so excited for Casey Schmidt this year in terms of what he could bring to the table. Then there's a lot of frustration when the bat didn't match what we saw in those first couple of weeks. Honestly, I don't care that he struggled at the plate this year. His defense was really, really good all year long. And the fact that he didn't let the offensive struggles impact him on defense, I consider that a win for a guy who's still trying to you know, figure out how to be a big league ball player. I am very still like high on what Casey Schmidt can do for the Giants going forward. Is he the dude who's going to be the centerpiece of the lineup of the next great Giants team? Absolutely not. He is a guy who will probably be hitting seven, eight, or nine for most of his career while giving stellar defense up the middle. And you know what? I'm cool with that. 
you know, I think that would work. You are listening to the Garlic Fries and Baseball Guys podcast. Sam Lubman, Joe Shasky, joined by Steven Risotto of uh, Sports Illustrated's Fan Nation, covers the Giants for them. Uh, coming at you, well, we usually come at you once a week, but it's the offseason, so we're coming at you whenever we really feel like it at this point. Uh, all part of the Odyssey Sports Network here on 95 Sun The Game. Make sure you're liking, rating, reviewing, we- subscribing, sharing, telling other people about it. And, uh, yeah, we're going to get on with it here. Uh, well, yeah, I want to ask you this, Clubman. I'm going to hijack this segment. Yeah, go Let's ahead. Let's talk about the young players. Let's talk about the young players. Let's be serious and talk about the young players. I personally believe that these ranking systems that you see online are a lot of fluff, and I'm just looking at what we have right now. I don't know what the lefty Harrison is going to evolve into. I don't know. We, a lot of guys came up. Sean Estes was a first-round pick who I thought was going to be awesome. You guys don't remember William Van Launchingpad, a.k.a. William Van Landingham. I thought he was going to be excellent. Brad Hennessy, Correa. Like, there's been tons of Giants youngsters. Foppert, who had tremendous upside. Foppert. Oh, there's a name. He's running the Marine Catholic baseball program right now. Yeah. But, like, my point being is, like, there have been a lot of guys who have been highly ranked, highly touted, and never reach it. Right now, I just don't think they have a lot of – talent when it comes to these young players i have hope that luciano can stay healthy and maybe hit near 260 because you look at his career numbers i don't know what he's going to look like defensively i gotta see more patrick bailey defense first the bat really was quiet in the second half and that's alarming i want to see what he does for another full season matos i have real concerns about both defensively speed wise and hitting is very questionable um Ramos, we still haven't seen anything. Like, you've seen now a collection of young players. Are you that impressed? We've been waiting six years, six years to see this farm. I'm, I'm utterly unimpressed. It's not the end of the world. We can see what they end up evolving into, but we've had a little taste, and I'm not that impressed. They, yeah, they do not have the Acuna. They do not have the Acuna. They do not have the Corbin Carroll. They do not have the Vlad no. Guerrero Jr., uh, but they could have some some solid everyday. And, and here's the thing. The most important thing that can make what you want about that Farhan Zadi press conference. I thought it was a lot of like nothing. I thought it was very generic. But the most important thing that came out of it in my mind was at least. And, and we're going to have to see if if the actions follow. Right. That's the most important thing. But verbally saying Marco Luciano is your shortstop. I, I think that needed to happen. That's step one. And I, the reason I brought up Brandon Crawford was because they stuck with him. And yes. if they could stick with Marco Luciano, who, by the way, looked phenomenal, and he very much looked like a big a big leaguer in the final two weeks of the season. I agree. Uh, hitting the ball hard. Weeks. Casey Schmidt looked amazing for two, for two weeks. weeks. Yeah. <laughs> so, like, I have to be fair here. No, yeah. 100%. And I think the way, maybe, maybe you build this team and you just stack, because they have some young arms that could work. And Harrison, I think, will be a member of the rotation. You have some guys waiting in the wings. Mason Black, Keaton Wynn looked good towards the end of the, the year. Wizen maybe you go out and trade and sign for a pitcher or whatever. Maybe you just build your team based on pitching. And the one question that I have this offseason, because it is a weak free agent class, the one question that I have is, do you take these young players in mind when you go out and try to upgrade. Like when you're looking at Cody Bellinger, do you think about Luis Matos? When you're looking at a guy like Matt Chapman, do you think about Casey Schmidt? Or do you do you leave spots open for some of these young guys? That's the number one question because there's either yeah. two ways to go about this. You trade for a guy like Pete Alonso and like you 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 backlog a bunch of the young guys and you have them in Austin Slater roles and then they develop into Austin Slater. I don't think you want that to happen. But at the same yeah. time, you want to get better for next season. So I, well, I, I think, think this is. 
It's a question. It's a I, I, I hear question. Yeah, no, I hear you saying that. I, I kind of, I think it's a good question. I think in the past, it's it's a question the Giants have done a very bad job answering. Uh, I always point to like when people talk like where do things go wrong? How did this go south? How do we go from loving Farhan after a 107 win season to like begging the Giants to fire him in a two year span? I always remember that 2021 off season when you had a 107 win team and you had two premier middle infielders and Marcus Simeon, a local kid, and Corey Seager, the former Dodger, available. Both would have looked great in this lineup. Either one of them would have looked great in this lineup. And it was almost like there was a reluctance to go after them because A, you already had Crawford in-house, which hindsight wasn't the best way to look at it. Even at the time, probably wasn't the best way to look at it. But also because they didn't want to block Marco Luciano. And looking back on that now, I don't think you need to look back on it now. Just even at the time, that really didn't make any sense of, well, we already have this dude coming up. We can't sign this shortstop. No, just sign the shortstop and figure it all out later. That's what I think you got to do at this point. Don't worry about where Austin Slater's going to play. Don't worry about where Wade Meckler's going to play. Don't worry about if Casey Schmidt's going to be able to get in the lineup. Figure that out later. Uh, I read in the athletic, you know, in the athletic, Andrew Baggerly, you know, did his little 10 things the Giants need to do to, to be good next year. And he got to the part where, you know, talking about different free agents and, and their fit. And he mentioned Shohei Otani. Obviously, the Giants are going to be in on Otani. I have very little hopes that's going to happen. But his reasoning why he did not see Otani as a fit was because he would be a DH most of the time and the giants have two DHs already in Mitch Hanniger and Wilmer Flores. I'm going to be open. You can't real. think like that. No, you cannot. If Farhan Zaidi comes out and says, oh, well, we, we wanted to get, you know, Shohei, but we, we have, you know, Hanniger as our DH right now, bro. Come on. Like hey, put hey, Hanniger in left, put can't. Hanniger in third. I don't care. Get the players on the roster and then sort out all the nonsense later. You know, the, the 49ers had a running back in Elijah Mitchell. They had another guy in Debo Samuel who could take, you know, snaps out of the backfield. Did that stop them from adding Christian McCaffrey? Well, where's Debo going to go? Where's Elijah? No, you figure it out later and you look at what they're doing. They're making sweet music with it. I like, yeah, don't, don't get wrapped up in what prospects going to be blocked. Well, don't get wrapped up in who's going to play where. If you have good players on your team, everything will eventually fall into place. Guys will figure out where they're supposed to go. And you know what? If you have too many good players on your team, who's ever complained about that? Good the problem, the problem with this team, I think going through the path of free agency is, is the least likely way for this team to make themselves significantly better next year. There have been six, seven, eight mega trades in baseball the last couple of years. Francisco Lindor, um, you know, obviously Matt Olson, uh, Mookie Betts. I mean, just go right down the list. There have been some huge, huge trades. And the Giants weren't in any of them. And I personally believe they should be. Like, guys, we've seen it right now. We, we've seen it. We've seen a little bit of Matos. And maybe one day he proves me wrong. And he's a borderline, you know, borderline all-star or a borderline, you know, uh, gold glover. I highly doubt it, right? If you have an opportunity to surrender some pitching and a couple youngsters to go get a Juan Soto in retrospect. Come on. We should have done it. We should have been all in. But you know why? Other teams don't value our players the way we do because the cover is so bare. And you're talking about Luciano. And I'm, I'm excited to see Luciano. He's been injured at every level. He has not hit for a lot of average at any level. Yes, he's got pop. Yes, he's got a bat. That back has been hurt over and over and over again. And so when you look at the really good players who come up and tear, 
Corbin Carroll, et cetera. They tear at every level. Alec Thomas, who is not tearing it at the big level, but is great defensively, tore it up at every single level. My biggest fear right now is that no one's really tearing it up. The one guy who did, Wade Meckler, it did not translate at all. I think they just promoted him too fast. I mean, he, they, what, he was in single A when they right. brought him up. Yeah, it was just like, I mean, I know Farhan in the past expressed, you know, a, a desire to promote guys aggressively, though he's never really done that with the Giants. That really came out of nowhere. Uh, I thought maybe they were just hoping to catch lightning in a bottle at some sort. I, know, I never really understood the Wade Meckler promotion in hindsight. I mean, I rooted for the kid. You know, I, I like to see redheaded baseball players succeed. But I mean, the poor guy was over a thousand, and they kept trotting him out over. there. He had no confidence. Going back to the like, that's the guy that you run out there every single day when he's over a thousand. Where are your eyeballs? Where's your empathy? Like you guys, again, put your arm around the like, like that. You need a day off. Yeah, I don't know. Rizzo, what did you think of the Meckler promotion? It was out of nowhere, and I, I think the outfield routes too were just. Like it was, I mean, it it kind of looked like he was like running back and forth doing zigzags out there. But I, I, my, my whole thing on the, the whole young players thing is this, like, and of the, the, I guess the future of the organization is this, like we could sit here all day and talk about prospects and which ones are going to pan out and which trades they're going to make. And just to add another one on Chasky's list of trades, St. Louis went all in on Goldschmidt and Arenado, just putting that one out there. Um, but ownership, like ownership is also it also deserves to be pointed fingers at, if that makes sense. And I feel like the Giants like should not be going down a road that the Cubs went down for a very long time, where in terms of the, the Cubs have money to spend, right? They've had money to spend for a long time, but for a very long time, before before, you know, ten years ago, they were a huge market, have always been a huge market, but they have functioned like a small market team. And the Johnson family, the Larry Bears of the world, the ownership group, they cannot let this team, and I don't know if they've done it already, maybe just a little bit, but they cannot further let this team go into a small market mentality where they feel like they can't spend money. Because at the end of the day, faces inside the ballpark and people showing up to support their team and people buying the jerseys. We've talked about this for years and many off seasons, and I still don't think this is the off season where it happens. You want to be able to buy a jersey and you can't buy one right now. Mm-hmm. That's not Logan Webb. You can't. You struggle to find a jersey to buy. There's. You, you can't pack out the house. And I understand that. You know, there, there's some issues that could backtrack from COVID. But I think we're past that. I think you know teams are are filling up stadiums this year. We had record attendance in Major League Baseball, and the Giants somehow slipped a little bit. So we need to figure out a way that the Johnson family, the ownership family, they have to figure out a way to get this team back on the but same path. They did spend money, Stephen. That's the problem. Like they the did spend money, but it was not the money. It, it was horrible allocation. It, okay, it was, you're watching two players, Kyle Schwarber and uh, Castellanos, and I don't even think Castellanos would would fit what we're doing because he'd be the number four hitter. It would look a lot different. They're making twenty million dollars a year. Jock made nineteen five. Who in baseball is taking Jock over those two heading into this year? No one. Okay. No. These are your top paid players from last year. This is, it's a money allocation problem for me. Jock, Conforto, Crawford, Wood, Manaya, Stripling, Rogers, Flores, Yaz, then Logan Webb. To find any value, you got to get down to the eighth 
highest paid player on the Giants in Logan Webb. No team is succeeding when your top seven players are those guys in terms of money. Like uh, you better have a bunch of rookies who are kicking ass then because that's not good. Like, again, that's your top of the payroll. The the Confortos, the Hanegers, Jocks, they're killing you in terms of finances. I do think they've spent – Forhan has spent unwisely. No, I agree. Yeah. I 100% agree. And I think that, that that's the thing that needs to change. And I think the Farhan Zaidi saying that, you know, I'm, I'm going to be willing to adapt to change. I'm going to be willing to adapt to change. And I think this offseason should be a, a, a good test. Like, we have to see if he's willing to uh, adapt to change because if not, he's going to be gone. And I don't yeah. think there's much argument to either A, he should have been gone already, or B, he should be gone if the Giants are going to lose next year still. Right? And that's what I think is. Let's, let's hold on to that thought really quick. Uh, you are listening to the Garlic Fries and Baseball Guys podcast. Sam Lubman and Joe Shasky joined by Steven Risotto of uh, Sports Illustrated's Fan Nation, which he covers the Giants for. Also the pride of Reardon High and San Francisco State. Uh, make sure you're liking, reviewing, subscribing, sharing, telling other people about it. 95.7 Odyssey Sports, all that fun stuff. We are about 35 minutes into this, and uh, let's have a serious Farhan conversation right now. Um Steven, you were obviously at his presser. You didn't really get a whole lot out of it, or you you said it was kind of very generic. Um, were you happy that Sam and Bonte were there? <laughs> yeah, no, I, I felt like I didn't need to do anything with, with them there. Yeah. I mean, it was, and Willard was there too. Mark Willard was there. I mean, they, Mark, they, I think they had the question, he had the, what, the question of the, the whole uh, presser when he asked Farhan why Gabe, and basically got Farhan to admit that Gabe was scapegoated. Like, well, it is what Mark it is. Willard, he hit a home run with that question right there. So props to him. And, and Willard's a guy that I've learned, and, and shout out to Mark Willard. I've been around him like a few times in person, and like his voice just, it 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 carries. Yeah, we weren't even in a room. We were in the dugout, and I, I swear somebody in like right field in McCovey Cove could have heard it. Like he, <laughs> he just has like the presentation. And Bonte did a good you know good job standing his ground, right? And you know there's some back and forth there. But no, that press conference. I mean, those those press conferences are gloomy. It's supposed to be gloomy. Everything about it has to be gloomy because at the end of the day, there's a team that was playing in the postseason that night. Okay, you cannot ever have those press conferences where you're talking about the end of the season in early October. Okay, that means it's gloomy. And 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 some of the references were a little weird. I didn't really understand. I didn't really have a problem with any of the TV references. I didn't understand. I don't really watch the bear at all. <laughs> you had a Ted Lasso one too, but um, I think, but I think all the people who watched that show were in that scrum, all four of them. <laughs> I guess so. But it was just a, you know, it was, it was, it was a doozer. I mean, I hate that it was a doozer. And, and I just, I felt like I, it, it didn't give a good indication on where the franchise is going as a whole. I'm glad you said that he was hired in December of 2018. Okay. And we all agree. Everyone, even the harshest critic of Farron, he inherited him a, a kind of a mess. I would say you got some franchise players and yeah, you got to start from scratch via the draft. Okay. Are they closer today? Sam Lubman to a world series than when he was hired in November, December of 2018. See, I don't think this is a straightforward yes or no question because I do think there is a yes part of this organization in a better place. I would say, Overall, yes, the organization is in a better place, but are they closer to a World Series? I would say no. Like, let's say like, I, the, the, the number I love looking at is 
from 2015 to 2018. So when Farhan was with the Dodgers, the Giant, the Dodgers were 70 and a half games better than the Giants. Since Farhan got here, the Dodgers are 93 games better than the Giants. The gap has widened significantly. Now, I know that may not be the best barometer for determining it, but for whatever You're closer games, to the Rockies than you are the Dodgers, let's all but admit it. The, yeah, but no, here's what I'm saying. Like, I do think the Giants are better now than they were in 2018, but that's because the Giants were kind of at rock bottom in 2018, so you really had nowhere to go but up. But whatever gains the Giants have made, which I, they, they do exist, the gains that the Dodgers have made in that time far outpaced what the Giants have Does done. Does it matter the to you? The Diamondbacks have made. Who, the Diamondbacks have 150,000 games two years ago. They've made more gains, I think, than the Giants have. The Padres have made more gains. Look around the National League. It's not just the division you have to fight with. You know, the, the NL Central, I mean, the Brewers, I mean, the, the Brewers could be in trouble for a while. The NL Central actually kind of sucks right now. The Phillies, you look at what they Marlins have right there. Coming. Dave Dombrowski might have built one of the best teams in his career with this Phillies team. Well, they forget could, forget the rest of the National League. League. Forget the yeah. National League. Are you judging your answer just off of the roster, the 40-man, the farm system, or does the business aspect of curating amongst your consumer base, losing 26% of your season ticket holders, does that not factor in to the overall scope of the organization being better? That's a good way to look look at it too i when you factor that in it, it does knock away a lot of the gains i think basically any gains that you're talking about is the fact that there are guys in this farm system who you can look at and be like i think you can be part of a good baseball team someday okay. like i'm not saying that patrick bailey is is puster posey 2.0 not going there He's but not. i do think that if He's the closer next to kurt man wearing the, the next the next good giants team could have patrick bailey in the squad it could have marco okay. luciano at shortstop honestly i'm i'm kind of high on luis matos uh, Shasky, you and I had a fun conversation the other morning. We were talking about how the Phillies did a great job building their uh, lineup to fit their ballpark. You know, because they got, I mean, that the Citizens Bank ballpark, like we could probably hit home runs in that ballpark. It's an absolute bandbox. And it reminded me of how the Giants won in 10 to 15 or 10 to 14. They built a team that truly fit their ballpark, pitching heavy and lots of gap to gap hitting. Luis Matos, he's not a power hitter, but he is good at driving the ball to the gaps. And I think that will play well here at Oracle Park. Another thing that made those Giants teams very successful during that time was, along with good defenses, they didn't strike out very much. That was not a strikeout-heavy team. And one thing that really irritated me that Farhan mentioned in his presser was, you know, he was asked the question, you know, you guys set a franchise record for strikeouts this year for 1,492. You know, it used to be the year Columbus sailed the ocean blue, but now it's, you know, the strikeouts, the franchise record for strikeouts we had this year. And Farhan's answer really irritated me because what he said was, you know, when you have so many young guys in a lineup like this, you're going to see a lot of strikeouts. Well, you know what, Farhan? I crunched those numbers that you love. Rookies accounted for 33% around there of your strikeouts this year. The guys who were striking out was Austin Slater. It was J.D. Davis. It was Jock Peterson. It was Mike Yastrzemski. Those are the guys who were doing it. Granted, the highest strikeout percentage, like strikeout rates, were held by rookies. Blake Sable had the highest strikeout rate when you, you know, divide strikeouts by plate appearances. The rookies did have higher strikeout rates. They also had lower this, plate this, appearances. Jesse, I know you Blake want to say Sable something. There's one last thing, is so thing I want to get me. here, though. There's one last thing I want to get in here, though, because when he's bashing these rookies for, you know, their strikeout problem, no. you know, being the big issue with the Giants' strikeouts this year, you know who had, among players with 100 plate appearances, you know who had the lowest strikeout rate? Luis Matos. I didn't know and that. That is why I try, I want to have I have hope for Matos going forward, you know, because I do think that he is the kind of guy his profile, he would probably fit really well with those lineups from 10, 12 and I, yeah, 14. I just 
I don't think he's a guy who's going to drive the ball, and I think his athleticism and speed was over-advertised. I've been unimpressed, personally. That's just me. Mm -hmm. Like, I don't see the blazing speed and the dynamic play. Uh, as we, 20, I'll go what, back. 21, I'm gonna, I'm gonna, what? He's like, what, 21, 22, though? And that's when you should be extremely athletic. Like, at your, yeah, you know, they, they, your I would say he's, he's, he's got time to build on this, though. Would the Arizona Diamondbacks trade Alec Thomas straight up for him? Right now, probably not. No. They wouldn't. I'll take Alec Thomas all day over him. And I don't even I don't even think he's a premier player. He's an average player. I'll ask you the same question, Stephen, and I'll, I'll get to something about building the team to the ballpark because I have a point I want to make. Is this team, is this organization closer to a World Series now than when Farhan was hired? Talent-wise, 40-man roster-wise, farm system-wise, I think they are. But like you mentioned, there are some underlying I guess things that are happening that could bring that down easily. And you mentioned the business standpoint, you mentioned, you know, I, I, I think of the, the, the fans packing out the ballpark. And I also think like what Lubbin was talking about the rest of the teams and not just the Dodger gap has widened this year playing Arizona. I think I've seen it more than any year, the talent gap between those two last year, they gave him problems. I remember last year after Logan Webb start, he told us that, yeah, this team is, they're coming up quick. They're coming up quick. They fight off pitches. And, and Logan Webb's a guy that cruises through a game with a with a very low pitch count. And I think against Arizona in 2022, he had probably about 80-something pitches through four or five innings. They gave him a tough time. And this year, that final series against Arizona and Chase Field, that was the worst probably I've seen the Giants play this entire season. In terms of athleticism, in terms of they just got demolished. It wasn't even like the big scoring games. It was just overmatched to the highest point. And let me, I'll let you finish. Yes. I went to the series when they were down in Arizona uh, in like April. Maybe it was May. April or May, I went to go visit a friend. Um, Corbin Carroll jumped out of the box and went to on a routine single. I turned to Lucas Alexander, producer of the afternoon show. And I said, that guy is one of the fastest players I've ever seen in my life. Mm -hmm. And right there I go, that is more than I need to see for anyone else. It pops. So when you bring up someone like Amatos, that's the athleticism I'm comparing them to the premier players, fair or not rookie of the year candidate, MVP candidate. That's where the bar is at now. Continue. They don't have it. They, they like I said, they, they they just don't have the Corbin Carroll or Acuna type. And 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 back to Matos for a second. He does have he does have a very low strikeout rate, and he's good at putting the ball in play. And the one thing that like if he goes into this upcoming offseason and offseasons you know following, he needs to get stronger. He needs to get in the weight room. I mean, we've mm -hmm. seen. I mean, I I always look back to the highlights. There was a point in Sacramento before he got called up where he was hitting home runs every single night. And the thing is, they had the, and I know Shasky's going to roll his eyes here, the exit velocity and the launch angle, uh, the same exit velocities and launch angle that he had in Sacramento that were going out for home runs were not translating into the big leagues. It just wasn't happening because it's not, the, the Pacific Coast League is a different animal. You can't accurately judge the success of the Pacific Coast League offensive numbers to the big leagues. It's, it's such a far gap. And I think the struggles that guys have coming from the PCL to the big leagues are so real. And Matos just needs to get stronger. And I agree. I believe the speed. First time I saw him, I was like, this is this guy's very athletic. He's fast. And I think in center field, he's got pretty good like gliding speed. But on the bases, he's not he's not fast. You just yeah, don't no see one, no one on the Giants is is fast right now. Uh, we got a few minutes. They were gonna get more athletic. And they went the opposite direction. And so I want before we get out of here, we got a few minutes left here. Um 
obviously we, we mentioned this is a big year for Farhan, a big off season for Farhan. He's basically GMing president of baseball opsing for his job right now. He's got some big things that he needs to do. He needs to make the roster better and he needs to hire a manager, but he needs to do it during a time when, you know, the giants, they're not, again, we, we've been saying how they're a bit better, but they're not still not in a great spot. They're in a better spot than 18, but they're still not in a good spot. Um, yeah, he's been player. he's been asked about he's been asked about how you know attracting free agents and you know bringing in a manager and why how that might you know be difficult in terms of you know having to bring in a manager when he himself is on a lame duck year, and he's brushed these 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 concerns off every single time uh, because he believes that San Francisco is a great place to play. So the question here, guys, is simply put: Are the Giants is, is the Giants' job an attractive job? No. If you're going to hamper me with a bunch of veterans and say, hey, good luck with the rookies, you better make it work and you need to make the playoffs because we're spending $160 million on the payroll. We need to justify that. No, it's not a good job. And this is where I would bottom the hell out. Like to me, sell off everything that you possibly can eat the money and make a clear distinction. We are either going to trade a bunch of prospects and bring in a centerpiece and we're going to go young for a year or two and level out our books or just go young. <laughs> like they need to make a decision. This thing where we're going to have nobility and competing while also trying to develop, it's an excuse to not bat Matos four times a game. It's an excuse to not let Luciano finish out the entire game debut and not get Ramos in the line. I mean, Mitch is back. Got to play him over Ramos. Like to me, the, the flag needs to be in the ground so that when a manager comes here, he knows. Dude, this is a four-year runway. Like, we're not going to be judged off one year. Otherwise, they're going to have the same thing. Austin Slater's going to pinch hit in the fifth inning for someone. I'm over that. Yeah, Steven, what do you got? <laughs> yeah, no. Uh, I, so without without having the captain obvious statement of, oh, well, there's 30 jobs. Of course, it's attractive. I will I will say, I will use this in the context of all the jobs that are available. Yeah. Um, the I think the Angels' job is worse, particularly the Angels' job is worse. But if you're if 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 you're looking to interview for this position with the San Francisco Giants, there's one thing that is concerning, and it's job security. This is a job that does not come with job security at all, not even close. Because right. you have right now uh, mm-hmm. a president of baseball operations who many view is kind of on his last leg in terms of you know in terms of running. He's running out of time. He's running out of time. If this season does not go according to plan and the Giants have another subpar season, he's likely not coming back. He's on the last year of his contract. And usually when there's turnover in the front office, you have to be a very special someone to hang on to your job as a manager and work with a different regime, right? That's kind of why Bruce Bochy felt it was the right time to get out of the way or whatnot. But I I think it's got very low job security. If you're a guy like a Mark DeRosa, who I'm particularly high on, I think DeRosa would do a good job. And you're looking to leave MLB Network and a seven-figure job for the San Francisco Giants, and you're trying to move your family. He's got a young kid. He's got you know kids and a wife, and you're trying to move over to the Bay Area. And and I don't want to hear about you know Farhan saying that it's not an attractive place because DeRosa is going to move to Blackhawk and Danville and Peninsula, whatever. He's not going to live in the city. <laughs> then then I I mean, and you're you're gonna you're gonna roll with the rookies, right? And you're gonna have to be a developmental manager, and then boom, the the top executive loses a job, you're probably on your way out too. So I just think the job security doesn't make it exactly an attractive destination, which 
I wouldn't be shocked if they go to a short, a short-term person with a lot of baseball experience in terms of managing. Uh, and if that short-term guy becomes a long-term guy, then that's just how it is. I don't think Dusty Baker expected to be in Houston all these years after. He was viewed as a transitional candidate Great point. In, in, in Houston, right? He was viewed as the guy that's going to Bochy originally was a transition coach for the final year or two of Barry Bonds. That, I thought he was at least. Yeah, well, Honestly, I at one point thought that Gabe Kapler was a transitional manager. I thought they wanted to bring Gabe Kapler in and just keep the seat warm until Bob Melvin either left o- until Bob Melvin left Oakland. But then, of course, you know Melvin leaves so Oakland for, for San Diego, and obviously there's still uh, there may be some flirtations going on there. I don't know, but it all comes down to with me, and I like that you mentioned the job security, Stephen, because I think that kind of touches on an overall bigger issue here. Is that yeah, if things don't work out next year, Farhan's gone, and you got a manager who's stuck. You're going well. What do I do? You're also going to have an organ, a, a giant organization, and a fan base is going to be going well. What do I do? Because Farhan needs to make a bold move this off season. What if he makes a bold move where, let's say he trades two or three top prospects to bring in a significant bat or a significant pitching arm, and that's not enough to make this team better, or he signs someone to a, a seven, eight, ten-year deal for all of the money that you can think of that gums up the, the Giants' uh, you know, salary sheet for the next several years, but then the team still struggles and Farhan gets fired. Honestly, you're going to let him potentially create a bigger mess before he goes out the door in this lame duck year. And that's why, you know, when Bonte says, you know, it's not too late to fire Farhan, honestly, it kind of makes sense. Like, I don't, I would not trust him right now to rebuild this team in one year into a satisfactory level. Like, the question I always ask is, like, what could Farhan possibly do within one year to make us go from fire this guy to extend this guy? I really don't, outside of a miracle, I don't think there is. And so you're going to let him go to work potentially trade guys away, potentially, you know, gum up the cap sheet for years. And then he's like, okay, guys, peace. Whoever's up next, that's your problem now. Like, we know he inherited a bad situation in 2018. If things go wrong this offseason, he's fired next year. The next guy could be coming in with his own 2018 situation or even worse. And that's that just seems even like completely stupid for the Giants to even try my to message to him. My message to him would be to make the team better and don't try to save your job. Make your make the team better, but don't try to save your job. That's not what this is about. Okay, you, in this situation, you're secondary. Back to the manager thing, real quick. What I would want to see the Giants do personally is get someone in there that you could stick with, right? Because the Giants have had a history, like they have not had a lot of managers of recent decades, right? Roger Craig to Dusty Baker to Philippe Alou to Bruce Bochy to Gabe Kapler. That's not a lot of managers compared to some of these other teams. And the the blueprint that I see right now, the the, the Arizona Diamondbacks stuck with Tory Lovello. They get, he had a ton of losing seasons. They could have easily fired him, but they saw something in him where they felt he could be with the right, with the right personnel, what Shasky said at the beginning, the right personnel, he could lead this team to some really good seasons in Arizona. They stuck with him. He's become the, he's, he's probably going to get to the 10 year mark in Arizona and, 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 and in an era where you're, you're hired to be fired. Jo- I mean, and I know it's, it's again, it's a long shot with this possibly being Farhan Zaidi's final season. But if you could get a guy in there who could stay with you through the long haul, through the down seasons, through the up seasons. Again, the Giants could have fired Bruce Bochy after 2008, 2009, right? Mm-hmm. And then they stuck with him because they saw something. They could have fired him in 2017. 
it, yeah, and his communication. And and look, one th- last thing to close the book on Gabe Kapler real quick. There was a ton of articles. It seemed like every day there was articles that were coming out that kind of talked about the clubhouse culture and everything and, and kind of him being a hands-off manager. And hands-off clubhouses work. They 100% work. We've seen it in the past. We've heard about it in the past. But it has to work with the right set of leaders. And I don't think Gabe Kapler had that in his clubhouse. He no. There's a lot of young players with nobody to look to. Brandon Crawford, Brandon Crawford attracts a lot of respect. Don't get me wrong. But he is not... He, he, he's, he, he's not the guy, right? In terms of, he's a lead by example guy, but he's him alone is not going to be the guy that's going to, that's going to make sure everybody else follows yeah. him. If that makes who, sense. Who did you look at in this, in the clubhouse when you were in there this year, who, who did you get the vibe of like, this guy is the leader of this clubhouse. This is the guy that guys will probably follow him behind. Like when you were in there, who, who did you see that kind of fit that bill? This is Logan's web team. This is Logan Webb's team. This is 100% Logan's, Logan Webb's team. It's been Logan Webb's team since the minute Buster Posey retired and the minute he dominated it in the division series in 2021. Totally agree. And he's adapted it. And the uh, the quotes of him being very – he wants to be very involved in this managerial search. And the fact that he's open about wanting to be involved and the fact that he's open about, hey, I signed an extension here. I should be a part of this. Like, that's telling. That's That to me is a leader. And, uh, again – you don't have the belts, the posies, the Crawfords in this clubhouse, the guys that have done it, the guys who could show the young players that, you know, how to act, how to go about your business. You just don't have that right now. And I feel like anything you know, Gabe Kapler could have easily flipped some tables. Right. But at the end of the day, in that clubhouse, there was nobody there that they could look to, to, you know, for guidance. I just didn't think that that was the, something, anything Gabe Kapler could have done. But I think in this next manager, they have to have somebody that a is a good communicator because that was what the Giants preached with Kapler, but it ended up possibly not being the case. And B, it's got to be somebody that could could possibly sit through some development of some young players, and I think that's important. Do either of you guys have a name at the top of your head in terms of like, oh man, I'd love to see that guy be the manager next year? I want Will Venable, local boy, uh, was a role player for many, many years. Role players, while not a tried and true recipe, they do make good managers at times. Um, clearly understood at the the side of Bruce Bochy, understands what it is to be a Giants fan because he grew up locally. His dad was a Giant. Um, obviously understands the blending of the gut and analytics and where the game is played at right now. I think being a former player, they need credibility like desperately that staff had very little MLB experience. I'm talking about the, the coaching staff. Yeah. Very little. And I think that really hurt them. I think a lot of guys are like, well, you didn't play. I, I, How do I respect they you? They need yeah. credibility. What's that? Yeah, no, they're not going to respect you if you didn't play. Exactly. It's, yeah. It's like in any industry. Does, does first time manager versus experience manager. Does that it don't does matter that, to me? It doesn't matter. Want to retread. Yeah, I think, okay. I think you got to be good with people and you got to be good with knowing the strengths of, of individuals. And my my pick, I, I said that DeRosa would be good. And look at look at how he did. He he had he walked in with Team USA with a bunch of stars. And again, Team USA is a lot different than 162 games. I can't stress that enough. Uh, but he's a guy that sits on TV and he follows the league. He's he has to a part of his job to learn the analytics. But he's also if you listen to him, he's got kind of that old school feel, too, about how to how to go about your business. And his team, USA coaching staff, Dave Rigetti, Ken Griffey, Jr., Andy Pettit, Michael Young. I mean, Brian McCann. These are some names. Right. And I don't know if that's going to be is probably not 
a, a realistic coaching staff, obviously, for a regular season. But I think he's an interesting guy. Pat Burrell has been thrown out there a few times. He's somebody that has connection with some of these young minor league guys uh, who are coming up. He could be a guy. Um, and, and also, I think Steve, I could tell you Stephen Vote as we're recording this, he's interviewing with the Giants right now at Oracle Park. Uh, and, and he's a guy that is freshly off of a playing career. But anybody that could, that could you know, it, it's an added bonus if, if you're an attractive person to play with, uh, to play for as a player, right? You, they yeah. want a free agent recruiter. They want someone in there that's going to be excited to play for you. Um, and, and I think uh, a name like Venable is a good one, too. Uh, I, I think he said that he does not want to leave Texas, which is interesting, but he's set up for definitely many jobs in the future. And if you could lure him away, that would be great. He's got Giants connections, right? His dad played. Um, so th- there's definitely guys you could go after that don't necessarily have managerial experience, but are perfectly ready for the job in my mind. This has a big time feel like the Niners after Tom Sula, Chip Kelly. Chip Kelly, yeah. Where you're just, you've got to overpay somebody in years and guaranteed money to be able to bring them in. Again, low job security. Yeah, you, yeah. You, so whoever's taking this job in the back of their mind, if they don't realize that they could be gone in a matter of months or, you know, in a year, then, you know, it's quite the sacrifice to move to move your, your family and your personal life and all your dominoes to one place and then, you know, possibly be gone. So low job security job. It's going to be tough. It's going to be a, a big, a big burden that Farhan Zaidi has to uh, has, has to take on this offseason. And again, I just I have very little hope that he does pull it off. I'd love to be surprised. We'll see what bold moves he's able to pull off. He's probably going to have to do it through the trade market because free agency is just not really his bread and butter right now. We'll certainly see what happens. Uh, Steven, man, thank you so much for joining us on the pod today. Uh, you want to you wanna plug Rizzo Cast really quick? Yeah, uh, Rizzo, thank, first of all, thank you guys for having me on. This was great. Uh, always love the conversation. Sam is a guy that I spend a lot of time with when I'm covering games. And uh, Shasky, of course, uh, a, a San Francisco guy through and through. And uh, we got the Reardon connection going there, too. Um, and uh, I'm rocking the Reardon hat right here. Know, you got to get me one of those. I should. I, I do have to get you one. I, I got this actually at the alumni game. So next time yeah, there's an I'll alumni take whatever. game. I'll take whatever. Yeah, <laughs> we've we got to play together on the alumni game. Um, so, yeah, uh, RizzoCast, you can follow it on Twitter and Instagram at RizzoCast. Uh, I recently had on a MLB PA certified agent who represents Bryce Eldridge uh, and, a, and oh. a few other minor leaguers. Um, uh, sixth in the pipeline right now or fourth in the pipeline? He's, he's up there. He's, and and yeah. a lot of people think that very highly of him, a possible two-way guy. But if he's not, they think that he could do really well with the bat. Uh, still very young, drafted out of high school. Uh, but yeah, anyways, his name's Tucker Ward. He's the uh, son of former big leaguer and current hitting coach um, uh, Turner Ward. So uh, there's a connection there. But on Rizzo Cast, I like to have a lot of uh, – random players that you know i used to get a lot in baseball cards right you know guys that um like the jerome williams like you know guys that just that was a good get that you got him guys that just seemingly shells yeah every path we i asked him about the puka shells yeah of course i did yeah and the pink glove too and he's got a good story behind it but uh, i like the guys that maybe aren't too high big of a radar you know i've had jt snow on in the past of course renell and a bunch of others joe madden but I also like the guys that kind of have a story and uh, hopefully going to get a lot of – there's a few young players that were drafted out of the Bay Area recently, hoping to have them on. There's Keyshawn Ogans out of Sa- uh, Sacred Heart Cathedral. I had him on a few months back. He's in Where's the Arizona he? Fall League right now with the Atlanta Braves. He oh, really? Keyshawn Ogans with the Braves. He's in the Fall League. And then uh, Owen Stevenson drafted out of USF, draft, uh, drafted by the Rays. 
Uh, so hopefully uh, get some Bay Area prep guys on that are now with big league organizations. So a lot of big stuff brewing. Awesome. Well, I mean, you're probably going to need to plug our podcast, too, because I'm pretty sure you get more listeners than we do on, on your pod. But uh, I don't really care point. who listens as long yeah. as, <laughs> as as long as I'm getting my reps in and as long as I'm having fun. I don't even look. I've, I've made a promise when I made the podcast. I said I'm not going to even look at the analytics. And I there still you have go. Not. I don't care. Yeah, don't look at the analytics. So yeah, if there's, I if there's my anyone butt. else who needs to hear that message, I hope they're listening yeah. too far. You guys are going to force me out now. No. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, so this has been episode 78 of the Garlic Fries and Baseball Guys podcast. Sam Loveman, Joe Shasky with Stephen Risotto. We will catch you on the next one. <laughs>